Welcome to the Soul to Scene podcast, episode 13. I'm Andy Cooper from RMS Motoring, and today I'm joined by Gary Riley. Hello. And Ross Annett. Hello. And in this show, we're finally getting around to answering your questions. Uh, yeah, Ross, you opened up the floodgates on the RMS forum asking the forum members to ask us anything. And we're looking forward to getting through those questions shortly. But before that, in case you missed it, in the last show, I met up with uh, Mark McCall from EV Association NI, and we toured the Yards Peninsula in a Model 3 performance, which was hard to beat. So check that out. And I also did a video review of uh, that car. It's on YouTube. And the EV review cars continue. I have an i40, that's BMW Saloon, all electric. Uh, in M50, guys. So that is a 550 brake all-electric saloon uh, with the sort of G80 M3 style big nostrils, which which everyone loves. I actually think people are starting to warm to those. Uh, we, I, we, the very first podcast, we talked about the G80 M3 and its front end, but I think now that's a moot point and everyone actually quite likes it. I've done a complete U-turn on it. I was actually, um, I was on YouTube there about an hour ago looking at a, a blue one that some guy bought in one of the channels I follow. And um, just, it just doesn't annoy me anymore. I look at the girl now and it's become normalized. You, know, it's, you get familiar, you see them on the road and it's like everything else. Yeah, it really has. I had the, um, the Isle of Man green one home over yeah last summer. And I really, really liked how it looked. The, the, the grill wasn't that offensive to me. Um, I was still trying to hide a number plate on it somewhere to, to kind of break it. A lot of people like the number plate in the middle of it to break it up. Mm. I personally like the big, like, plateless look on it, the, the American ones run. Um, and it's still the M3 is a lot nicer than the M4. I just have not taken to the M4 at all. Well, look, it doesn't surprise me that you like it, Ross, because at the end of the day, you have a, a X5 M50D and sure. <laughs> Look at the size of nostrils and that thing. True, <laughs> just swallowing up uh, everything in your in your sight. Funnily enough, we were saying we were chatting earlier about the fact that the i four, the, the one I'm getting is an M50, and I just think M50D, but it's clearly not a derv. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why BMW called it that, but I'm really looking forward to uh, getting a run out. It's supposed to be quicker over the quarter mile than the Model Three that I ha- handed back last week, so it's going to be bloody fast. Mm. Unbelievable. The other thing I. Uh, sat in today for the first time and I'm such an EV bore but I'm just I'm just attracting them for some reason um, is a Porsche Taycan Cross Turismo uh, which is compared to all the other things it's just a thing of uh, beauty now uh, it was a crayon car that I sat in now the looks maybe aren't for everyone I don't know if the crayon colour does uh does it for that sort of body shape, but I think that see inside and all, it's just it's just first class. I, I'm, I'm going to say beauty is an A of the beholder on this occasion. Um, what's with uh, what's with the arch extensions? Is it meant to be sem? Obviously not off road, but is it meant to be like a semi yeah. utilitarian kind of vehicle? That that was a like the A6. Um, what was the one they brought out? Uh, the Lions is all road. Yeah. All road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. So, is, it, is it meant to be that? It is 100% meant to be like that. It actually has right, a, gra- okay. a, a gravel driving mode and it, it sits 20 mil higher than the standard uh, Taycan and it has adjustable spin. You can go up to like 50 mil higher than that as well if you want to. I, I can't say it's doing it for me, but I think that's because the standard Taycan sits really low and it's slick. Uh, you know, if you've ever seen one, they're, they're, it's like a 911, but stretched longer, and they look really, really low on the road. And then this one looks just like someone stuck in a set of springs that are much too high for it. 
Yeah, so this this cross resmo is this different now? Because I did see a YouTube video during the week uh, that they've got the GT in the. There's GTS. They're doing yes, the GTS one. GTS is the same shape, but doesn't have the sort of uh, off road style height or the plastic wheel arches. So uh, okay, but uh, and I think part of that's down to price as well. The GTS is well over the hundred grand mark. Yeah, the cross turismo starts late 70s and then they are bringing out a bogo um sport turismo rear wheel drive only about 70 odd grand but saying that see when you when you buy a go to porsche and you go on the configurator which is great fun by the way if you're looking for something to do and really set <laughs> yourselves go go and just configure something go and configure a nice gt3 or something like that there just just for the crack and see how much money you can spend or you can double the car's price on the configurator by the time you Add all the, uh, oh yeah, I want a logo in every seat back and I want grey stitching here and red stitching there. That's just absolutely ridiculous. Like you have, you don't get things like adaptive cruise. It's a £1,200 option. Uh, you know, uh, if you want a leather trimmed um, armrest or anything like that, it's all options. You have to go tick, tick, tick. That crayon colour is probably a two grand option. Those wheels are probably a two grand, two grand option in that car. The Porsche options are just it's crazy. It's it's crazy, you know, when you get to that level of car and the price of it and everything else, where where things that you would just assume should be factory fitted. Um, before I got the X5, I had briefly looked at one of the Audi Q7s. Mm-hmm. It was the SQ7 variant I was looking for. Um, they didn't have the the SQ7 at that time. But when I was building it up, um, like as you said, just the, the most silly basic things, auto headlights, stuff that you you kind of expect from a premium car especially mm. at that price range everything with audi was was a tick um button exercise um yeah. and the numbers just keep flipping adding up i just realized I'm, I'm back at my m and again i thought i got rid of all the m's in, in episode 10 but there, there's there's a few popping up again so i'm going to try <laughs> and stop it no you've uh you've no hope well here <laughs> uh let's let's talk uh questions because everyone's bored of me talking about EVs and it's just it's not gonna stop because I just keep being provided them to review, which is is awesome. So oh, I don't really care. Well, before we go to questions, there was like the hot topic on the forum uh over the last while was the haven that is lions. There's two things have propped up. Number one, he doesn't like bacon. So I think that kind of took Everybody by surprise. I, I didn't um, know this. Is this a new thing or is he? Oh, have you not seen this? Has he convert, converted to Islam or something? <laughs> There's was, there was a whole thread popped up and Lyons was like, well, bacon's disgusting and I don't like it. Um, Rocco was particularly disgusted in fairness and he thinks that uh, as a result of this, that his moderator title needs to be thrown away. Well, I think he might have a point there. He could be onto something. <laughs> like Lyons, I hate to tell you, he's a great moderator. He's not, he's not going anywhere. But uh, the bacon <laughs> thing is an issue. And which even is, bigger issue was, uh, I think he had a good neighbour as well, was dropping around, as, as a goodwill gesture, some donuts to Lyons' house or Casa, Ca- Lyons Castle. Um, Lyons took into a fit of a rage and he was glad that he wasn't at home because he was going to chase this guy away for daring to come down the half mile driveway to drop donuts off to his family. <laughs> Well, here, were we not supposed to have donuts now? We're doing, in case you've noticed, they we're trying to deal with this over Zoom tonight because uh, because flipping COVID rages again. But uh, were we not supposed to have donuts? 
like yeah, this, was it this like, episode or last episode or something. I think it was these jammy joeys with um like cream or custard or something. Oh, jammy so. joeys with custard. That sounds awesome. Double donuts next time because there's a there's a a new Tim Hortons beside our recording location. Oh, so we can head that up next time. Fantastic. We'll uh, excellent. Well, here, hopefully, I'll have some sort of random electric vehicle. It does have a drive through, does it? It does. Yes. Oh, well, there we go. There we go. <laughs> we'll, we'll bring the kit. So well, excellent. Right. Well, here back to uh, more mundane matters. If you're tuning in and expecting uh, some sort of uh, commentary on today's vehicles or events. Forget about it. We're talking about particularly questions that forum members have asked us. If you don't know what, don't know what the RMS forum is, you're going to hear some strange names mentioned and very strange questions. Hopefully some of this will be of interest. Right, what's what's next on the list, guys? Uh, right, okay. best track day motors for under two grand, um, which I think we touched on with Donal when he was up. But we did, yeah. It was MX5, kind of was the obvious choice that uh, Donald threw in. Um, very affordable, real-wheel drive, durable, tried and tested. Loads of them out there. I, know. I don't know. I don't know how much you'll get for, you know, two grand doesn't buy you anything at the moment. Maybe maybe something like a Swift Sport, we Suzuki Swift, that Coog has, you can maybe get for that sort of money. But I don't know. I was looking at, uh, I had a quick look on the gum tree. You can maybe get a scrappy late two thousands Focus ST from the five cylinder ones. Maybe you get a first generation S three, the one point three T. But they're all bundles of absolute scrap. Yeah, plus the S threes were never known for being that exciting, even pushing them on the road. So I can't imagine they'd be any better on the track. No, no, it's the same. I, I don't know a bit of searching on that one as well. So the the two grand mark. Um, you know, you guys talked about the MX fives. I put in a really simple search and a nationwide search at that and put two grand limit on it. And there was nothing over 120 horsepower I could find anywhere. There was no MX-5s popping up. So they, they may be in the land of things. So I kind of had a thought about this here. And we've been to track days. You know, I, I, I done my first track day, as we talked about. Um, I came no, up with an idea. an expert. That makes you, uh, no, what well, going once makes you an expert. That's obviously. <laughs> it's not the way of life. Um, <laughs> But I actually had a bit of an idea. Instead of spending two grand a car, get a mate or get a couple of mates and pull your money together. Because in that way, you've got better choice, something a wee bit of power, a wee bit of speed. And there's always a couple of friends around because you don't want to be the, the person at the track day by yourself because you're going to need somebody's help with mechanic and changing brakes with whatever it may be. Um, and when something inevitably breaks, uh, you'll be able to have the bills at least with, with you and a friend. So that was my idea uh, for Peter was don't spend two grand, get a mate in, get him to spend the money and pull your money together. Get, get five mates and spend 10. Yeah. <laughs> or 20 mates <laughs> <laughs> the only downside obviously is the uh, the sheer look of disappointment when one of you inevitably stacks it on the hedge <laughs> <laughs> and then the whole thing falls apart yeah. uh-huh. but I think that's, that is you know what the way things are that's maybe not uh, uh, bad advice that's not a bad idea at all um, I was thinking of VTEX because you know being a Honda head from a young age, I always gravitate to VTEX. I just love love them on track because they're so high revving and so much fun. But you're very, very lucky to get one for two grand anywhere. Uh, the only other car I could think of really was that high mileage ropey 328 or 330i saloon, which you do sometimes see for going under three grand. Maybe it's an old family one or something. Because one of them's stripped out, uh, make it as light as possible, weld the diff on it or something like that there. You could still have a bit of fun on three wheel drive and 
decent engine. You know, yeah, just enough Don- power to not scare you too much. Donald did talk about the 330 saloon racing yeah. at, at Kirkston, which again started off quite cheap. But, but you know, as he said, the price of everything at the minute has just got crazy. So it yeah, has. that's true. Um, trying to find a 330, which... You know, from the racing that we did see, they were good fun. They were stripped out. As you said, they're 230-ish horsepower straight out of the box. Mm-hmm. You'll have a bit of fun on them, certainly, but it's trying to find one uh, cheap enough to go out and then spend another couple of grand on realistically. Yeah, uh, that's that's the problem. The two grand, even if you could get some, if you're buying something for two grand, you're spending two grand on it. You might be better buying something at three and a half grand and spending 500 quid on it. It's uh, yeah, it's wild. It used to be the sort of thing you could go and buy a, a Renault Sport something, Clio one nine seven, uh, Wee McGann or something like that, a two two old two two five. But they're all they're all like rocking horse shit now, and they're yeah. they're a fortune. Back when the one seven twos were going for fifteen hundred quid, and now they've like shot way back up again. Uh, they were perfect for stuff, I guess. Well, uh, I think we the answer is either. Get some mates, or unfortunately, two grand's just not going to cut it at the moment, which is which is a real shame because I've done it before on much much less, and uh, that's just the state of the market at the moment. Okay, next question is is certainly one that I'm all interested in, uh, but I don't actually have an answer to. But it's all about EVs. Uh, John Muldoon asks: Is there anyone on this side of the water converting older cars to electric? Um, I did have a look at this. I'm, I'm not sure about Northern Ireland. I'm not aware of any. That's not to say they don't exist. But um, I do know in the Republic, there's a company called AVA Electrify. They're based down in Powers Court in Dublin. Um, and they have quite a name for doing this kind of thing. And there's obviously, uh, in the UK, there's loads and loads of them at it. We were over to the Classic Show in November, and as we've mentioned before in the show, and we saw old Land Rovers converted to electric, E-type Jaggers, original Minis. Like, it didn't... No matter what kind of car, any type of shape or size, there was companies doing it. So it does seem to be a bit of a gap in the market here in NA if no one is doing it. But if anyone knows of any companies that are doing it, please let us know. Yeah, Johnny Smith did a great uh, review of a crowd down in the southwest of England that do a 2CV electric conversion. And that the 2CV, the yellow one, was actually at the at the show. But I'll mm-hmm. maybe get find hope the link out to that episode. But it's more, it's not even, okay, you might not care about the 2CV, but it's the process that they have to go through to, because um, it's sort of sim- similar things apply to a lot of, a lot of cars. Uh, Ross, heard any anyone doing this? Yeah, not in this side of the water. Again, there was a few of, I, I used to follow that, um, it was a Drive Tribe, you know, Matt Farah, on yeah. YouTube. So he had done a few videos at, at different times where over in the States, especially E36s uh, and 328 and M3 guys was a really popular conversion uh, to put in these motors. And there was one they'd done, which was running something bonkers like 850 wheel horsepower. Um, they, they they seem to be very well suited for, for making race cars and that out of. But um, do you know something? I, I do think, as, as we've said, there is, an, there is a niche there. There's there's opportunity for somebody to do it. Because as, as we're all aware, like the, the the way that things are happening with the, the rules, the regulations, with they're not going to be making petrol cars anymore. Um, and we have a question further down talking about running older cars. I think this is something that is going to become more and more popular um, over the years to come, really. Well, like the, our only problem is people are could be a bit miserable about it. That's the only thing. The sort of more Northern Ireland approach where people just want to hang on to 
hang on to stuff and run it in the, into yeah. the ground. You're going to have to take. You're going to take something. And I would assume. I think the costs are if you went and went, say you went and bought uh, like a nine nine seven nine eleven at twenty five grand, you could pump twenty grand into the conversion. You end you end up with a forty five grand old Porsche. I think if it's a classic that had a dead engine, maybe or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, or a high value classic. But then the question is whether high value classics will be able to be driven in twenty years. You know, mm-hmm. or uh, will they be banned so people may not have a choice? But. Yeah. It's, you know, there's obviously a market for resto mods out there, and we've seen a lot of old cars um, being brought up to date with aircon fitted, ABS, modern suspensions, all out there. So this seems like the, the natural evolution of that there. Um, it, it, it's someone I think it must take a lot of engineering know-how, because unlike the resto mods that you see to modernize older cars, when you're converting them to EV, there's the, the, the big question is, where do you fit the huge battery? So there has to yeah. be perhaps chassis work and a lot of changes, obviously, the removing the engine and filling in gaps there. Uh, and yeah. silly things as well, I'm sure, like, you know, the regulations that's required in the event yeah. of a crash, like, you know, we see the, the the testing that takes place. You even see what they have in Germany now is they've got like big, huge water baths that if an electric car goes on fire, because um, it's the only way to properly extinguish them is they have to completely drench them until the battery stops, spark and stops. So I, I think by changing an old car into a modern EV with huge amounts of torque and horsepower and whatever else it may be, then you're running, you know, it's, it's going to get very complicated um, with, with you know, an engine swap and fuel cells and et cetera, et cetera. And plus you're maybe a bit more stresses on certain parts of the chassis and suspension that were never, exper- you know, or never experienced that before. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, all, I'm all for it. It makes, uh, the good thing about, uh, and one of the questions really randomly is about putting CarPlay and stuff, but this is like, this is to extremes because you suddenly have an old car which maybe didn't have great thought, throttle response, great didn't have great brakes, didn't have great range or cost, cost a lot to run. Soon you put the EV powertrain in, it's it's fast as hell, and then it's super cheap to run and super reliable. I think. You think we're going to have a fleet of uh, EV powered boras around middles <laughs> with an electric poo? <laughs> Imagine sitting the lights in this bore launching in sixteen one second. Well, how how can you do rig? How can you do rig with uh, with an EV? That's the problem. And how can you get red electricity? <laughs> exactly. Well, here you're going to have trouble getting red diesel. I didn't actually see a question about that, but that that has everyone up in arms that uh, that red diesel for the most part is going to go by the the way of things. So, but it's okay. It's it's trying to get around the people people dodging putting clear diesel into their cars, but it's going to affect things like flipping someone to be able to run a fun fair or run a tractor run or. Uh, run a generator or all sorts of mad stuff like it. It'll be cheap batteries from uh, China instead, so, <laughs> <not> off Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's like a lot of these things that they haven't been thought out properly, and it's only you know now that the reality of, of, of it is coming to the fore that you're having these local councillors out there talking about that. Well, we can't do this, we can't do that. You know, I'm driving a hundred thousand pound tractor, and if I have to take it five miles up the road. Whilst I'm using it on my farm in red diesel, you expect me to drain it, to then fill it with white. You know, it, it, it's it's another one of these ludicrous things which haven't been thought out in any sort of reasonable, fashionable, yeah. or, or or any kind of sense. That it's just nuts. It's not practical at all. Well, uh, uh, moving on. 
So Chris Mar- Marin, another question asked about the state of badging up cars. Is this something we've always done and with the things like reg checkers, it's too easy to check. He also has asks, has retrofitting of the things like Apple CarPlay brought a new lease of life to other, other cars? So let's take the first question about badging up cars. Gary. Uh, yes, I have done it. Um, my second car, I think I've ever owned my life, was 1.2 Corsa way back in the day, and it came with GSI wheels, uh, wherever I got it from, can't remember where, but I fitted the GSI body kit, so naturally then I had to add the GSI 16 valve badge to the rear to try and fill everyone and to think it was faster than it was. I think I might have had a GSI Sunstrip as well. A vague has, recollection of getting one of them. Has, has to be done. Just like, lied, lied to everyone who, who saw me in it. You've, you've taken the lie so far, <laughs> you, just, you, just, you just have to go with it. But I remember uh, we, we, I, I grew up in Derry and we used to go up around the Diamond. That was where you parked up on Friday night, all the boy racers. And you would sit there in your cars and uh, I parked one night and this guy came in in a proper GSA and parked beside me. <laughs> and I just sat there feeling very small and embarrassed. <laughs> Uh, Ross, any any badging up stories for us? Yeah, much the same. Like I can remember, uh, probably my PS resistance was um, I had an Astro G. Uh, it was a five door, one point six seventy five brake horsepower. It was just she with the rod back in the day. But you know, I can remember uh, going to Tech and down Patrick, and at lunch times going up to the local scrapyards and picking up mm-hmm. a set of three door SRI seats and and the white dials out of uh, and doing all these things. Yeah, badging was always a thing, but then I kind of went a wee bit too far with it. So my Astra, and I actually shared this on my Instagram at some stage last year, I was doing like a giveaway for for um, just my followers. And it was sort of like throw up some of your old school back in the day cars. I think I still won the cheesiness award because my, I said, my silver five door Astra, um, it was lowered in 17s, which were big back in the day, 17 inch BK racing multi-spokes. Oh, yes. Um I had an Evo 6 Bonnet vent cut into it and fiberglassed. Um, I had this huge DTM rear wing, of course, limo black windows, uh, the Sunstrip with Astra on it in case nobody knew what it was, um, the Peco big board <laughs> DTM twin exhaust on it. Um, it was just, do you know something? Looking back, that was what made us different back in the day. You know, it, Things were body kits were a big thing, you know, and we used to do all the kind of mad, crazy stuff like that there. But yeah, she was she was seventy five horsepower that would not pull you out of bed. But I had her looking like uh, the two liter SRI and got embarrassed many of the time. But at least it looked like it. The thing that I always find hilarious is when you're you're driving down the road and like this old woman drives past you and she's in a, a Vauxhall Vectra, for example, and there's a Honda Type R badge in the rear bit lit. Something yeah. really random. Yeah, <laughs> you always see one. <laughs> And the, the amount of X5 M3s and uh, yeah. rebadged 3 Series that, you know, that, look, it is what it is. We, we've all done it. We've all been there. Um, I think it will always be a, a thing of badging cars up. The weirdest one I've ever seen was an MX-5 with an S2000 badge on the rear. And oh. I, I think that was actually maybe the, the guy who was driving it, like put it on in all seriousness. He got mixed up or something. Uh, do you know what? To see the the badging up of cars, I think it's like I did it. Uh, it's it's as old as time itself. Uh, I think like even that that Tesla I had. You know, I if if I had a, a Tesla a, a Bogo one, I would wouldn't think twice about s- sticking a cheap eBay Farben Kyber bootlip on it and call <laughs> and uh, put a dual motor badge on it and say it's a performance. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean this. I 
I remember you from like way, way, way back at the start of RMS. Didn't you have like a red? You were Corolla. RMS WRC. Was that what your name was? Corolla. Yeah, was RMS yeah. Corolla WRC. And was it like a GR6 or something? Did you no, stick no. the whole kit? You didn't it, go that far, was, did you it, not? Yes, it, it was, but it was a no, it was a completely standard 1.3 granny spec with like a <laughs> with like a cream interior. And I put the G6 seats in, uh, body kit and all the rest. Yeah, didn't actually badge that car but i did i did buy your vti civic gary and put and put the full uh type r lip spoiler kit on yeah you had the e- ek9 kit on it but i remember the crawl actually just going back to it and going up to your house and you were fitting uh you had neons fitted underneath it and everything <laughs> yes i remember that not, and not, uh, not dissimilar to the neon lights from these uh on these mics yep the crawler was good fun you know for i, I couldn't drag out of bed but it was very tail happy because i remember you going to the roundabout on um Hillsborough and they won and the car just gone completely sideways around there and it was only slightly damp it wasn't even that wet probably just the whatever sunny gym tires that i i had on it at the time <laughs> you know it's, it's funny there, there's um blackie of, of the forum you know he who changes cars 27 times a year but he's a really nice accord at the minute and we're all kind of peer pressure and I'm into putting on the type R spoiler and that because it, it really actually works with saloon. Um, so yeah, look, it, it comes back to, to, to modifying whilst we're probably not going to badge them. And I wouldn't imagine that black will ever badge it up as a, a type R. I think it has always happened and it will always continue to happen. Yeah. Of it will. We're sure we've, we've had a few threads on the forum recently taking this to absolute extremes. What about the, um, was it an MR2 or was it a Fiat Coupe or whatever? You know, they're uh, these Ferrari reps. Yeah. And these mm-hmm. monstrosities are right there. And, and, and some of them are, uh, well, they're mostly absolutely horrendous. And a lot of the time, they're sort of half done. It's like a they've went for the MR2 Ferrari exterior, but inside they've went for like a Momo gear knob and a single thin <laughs> neon faced head unit and like something from like Max Power in the late 90s. It's, 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 it's like all the best combination. It's like all the best projects. They give up halfway through. It's just too much bother. Yeah, just, <laughs> but you, you, can't, you have to keep going because you can't have half a kit on the car. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> just, it's just so rant. But do you know what? I do wonder because like you think of the pleasure, Ross, if you put in your white your white gauges into your Astra. And I oh. bet you every time you looked at those gauges, every time you turned the key, you're like, awesome. Those you know are something? just like I was, the SRI. I, I was so proud of myself. I was able to pull the dash out and put it back in because, the, you know, it's at the stage there where you're, I don't know, 17, 18, you know, you're at school, you're at tech with your mates and you think you could be working in any of these factories because I said, I switched them on. And do you know something? I think I'm going to go on for that. I think I actually changed the bulbs in behind the white dials to like, Taggy LEDs or something that made them yeah. light up blue or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not you know, you're painting your needles or anything like that. There, I, I remember painting needles at one stage just because they were they were white and whatever clocks outfitted that had to be red or something like that. There. there, there was a real obsession with needles and gauges and all them kind of things. You know, around 2001, when Fast and the Furious came out. Like, I remember just the amount of pods that suddenly appeared that you could buy for Honda Civics gauge pods <laughs> that you would set top of the dash, to the left of the dash, to the right of the dash. You know, yeah. the, your dash would end up looking like a bloody seven four seven. But you think of the satisfaction that. Uh, you got out of something. Probably look back now and goes, "That sounds a wee bit silly." But at the time, you felt it was awesome. So I wondered, does the guy or girl who's doing this to a four hundred six coupe and cutting it up and putting a three five five or a three sixty modern body kit on it, do they get the same satisfaction? They actually do. I, I had a neighbour in my old house, and he had an MR two with the three five five Ferrari kit. And uh, he was a guy from he was from Eastern Europe somewhere, but he he loved it. Now, in fairness, it wasn't the worst replica I've ever seen. It was well painted and a well fitted kit. The only thing to give it away, like most of them do, is the 
the offset in the wheels, the wheels just sat weighing on the arches, you know, mm-hmm. they, they never sat the right way, but uh, he, he just loved it, he didn't care if it was real or not, he just he got plenty of attention and that's what he wanted. And here, that is that's that is why we did all that stuff to our cars, because we just, just loved and it. That's why we still do, have, have you guys heard my van, have you? No. Right, okay, so my van is an MSRT van, so it comes from the factory, kitted up, body kitted now. I'm a 40-something-year-old man uh, driving around in a pimped-up from the factory, I must admit, MSRT van. But they have a Bluetooth exhaust in them. Um, <laughs> have you ever heard Bluetooth exhaust? <laughs> I have. It sounds, have, yeah. sounds absolutely like, r- ridiculous. But yes. Do you know something? You think it does, but um, i done the, the Eurotreffin show. And yep. uh, I had to... So we were down there good and early. I was asked to move my van back. And at that stage, there's a few people gathering around. And I got in, started up, and uh, the, the sound that's on at the minute is the Mustang V8. So it's matched your OBD. So as you switch it on, it starts up with this big, deep rev rumble. Um, as you rev, whatever else. So I drive around the place in this van, and people, honest to God, they still look at me. Did it see the next time we're doing a show? I take the van down. You just laugh at it. You can make that's it louder. Brilliant. It's mad. So... so but it gets looks everywhere it goes because people sort of take a look around. They think I've done an engine swap. So I've said to a few people, you know, what's in that there? I goes, I stuck a Mustang V, yeah, the five liter V8 into it. <laughs> Have you really? I goes, no, it's a Bluetooth exhaust, man. That's car engine. Something like that for all, always up for a, for a good wind up app. So that's fantastic. Yeah. And right. I, I had the, uh, the Model 3 at the in-laws, and it has megaphone mode. Oh. Um, so I, I, I was in the driveway, and I was showing the father-in-law the screen and all the rest, and there's his na- neighbour walking his dog. Goat! <laughs> just giving him the full goat across the road. <laughs> He's just looking around the face. The, the Bluetooth setup that you have, Ross, I saw it on YouTube, um, a guy with a van, it's not the same van as you have, but he had it too, and he put on the F1 noise from like an F1 car in the 80s, you know, that real 12,000 yeah. RPM. But it'll come on, it'd only be doing 30 mile an hour down the road and people be looking around expecting to see something going past a 200. And this wee van just cruises past and the big whine of it. The funny <laughs> thing about it is um, a lot of them are now being retrofitted to EVs because we all know they're silent. So there's an i8 was driving around Belfast for a while with one of these Bluetooth exhausts on it. And he had like a V10 Lamborghini engine matched to it. So as he was driving down, and they're really loud, you know. You, you as they go past you, you really do think it's 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 a legit engine go past. So yeah, this guy was driving around with the i8 uh, with a V10 engine. Sounds it was it was class. Unreal, unreal. Beats the the choir of disappointment that comes from an EV. Though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, someone's flipping person you're, or something like that. You're going to get lynched now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the the other random thing in in this question was about Apple CarPlay, and um, which I love Apple CarPlay. I would. I would put it in absolutely everything. I put it in my GT4 because the Porsche PCM system is absolute garbage. And it brought the car right, right up to date. I put it in my Xyz and I got Gary down a black line to make me a lovely double DIN enclosure because that dash is only for single DIN. We completely modified it and took the vents out. Even put it in my old Saab 9.3 around for a couple of years. Those Pioneer SPH120 head units. I would just put them into everything. And I have it obviously in the, the Yaris out of the out of the factory yeah the SPH units apparently are great but uh, there was one being sold on the RMS forum at one stage a couple of years ago and I had all the intentions in the world of, of buying it and sticking it into the caddy I had at the time mm-hmm. but uh, I got mine swept by RMS Cooper himself <laughs> look snooze you lose <laughs> 
and I probably paid pretty little for it as well. Oh, no, no, not you. A Balamina man paying little oh. for something. I'm not a Balamina. Balamina. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, anyway, so uh, on to our next question. Uh, Al ALN regrets <clears throat> selling his R53 Cooper, uh, which is I presume one of the supercharged uh, early cars. What car got away from us? Um, that we would like to have kept. Great question, Al. Uh, Gary. Uh, too many to list, honestly. I've, I've just I've had that many cars, which would now be considered modern classics, the Integra Type R's, Focus RS, uh, all models of M3s, things like that there. But usually I would want to keep them held on them because of financially. Uh, you know, they've all um, appraised now. They've all gone up a bit, so it would be nice to have had them in the garage. But for pure driving enjoyment, uh, I think it would be the Tommy Mac Mitsubishi that I had, or else the uh, Mark IV Supra Twin Turbo. Uh, they're both just lovely things to drive in very different ways. Tommy Mac was like a more extreme version of an Integra Type R, you know, and how hardcore and raw it was, but just absolutely unbelievable down the back road. And the Supra I had immediately after an E36 M3, so similar kind of power. They're both 321 horsepower, uh, but the Supra was just a bit, little bit lighter, all the controls, the gearbox was a little bit lighter, and not a particularly big car on the road, and it was just a pleasure to drive, really. You know, it wasn't even tuned or anything, but... A manual Mark twin-turbo Super. Like, I've, yeah. I've, I've, I think I've maybe driven an auto one. I've driven an auto one, but never driven a manual. Like, it's they are just unicorn car now. Unbelievable. Yeah, unicorn car. Again, I was, I was a passenger in an automatic one. I've never been in the manual twin-turbos. Um, and it's really interesting, Gary, to hear you saying... You came from one after an E36 M3, and they were 321 horsepower. I, I always would have assumed that the Supra had more power, and it was a bigger kind of boatier looking car than the M3. The Supra looks bulky even to this day, but you know you see photos of one parked beside a, an R35 GTR, for example, and they look tiny. They're not actually that big, but it was just I think the shape was very deceptive, um, and it definitely didn't feel boaty. They were actually very well set up on the road. Um, like it was really a good competitor, I think, for the E36 M3 and the time it came out. Came See, both kind of two doors and somewhere. I don't know what the cars were, but I think there were some there. Wow, they, they really were. The, I, I see our kings are raffling off at this minute in time. Uh, it must be a fresh oh, Japanese import, yeah. a white one, uh, thought, completely yeah. factory. Um, it's making me think about buying a ticket. Mm. Likewise, I'd I have to go I, for one. I didn't know this until you mentioned it, and now I'm like, hmm. Maybe have to uh, check that out after this. For me, uh, you're absolutely right, Gary. It has to be something that drives. Well, we've fairly uh, similar interests in cars, I think. And I, I remember I had a UK spec uh, championship white Integra Type R, which was in super shape. This was, oh, I don't know, mid-2000s at some stage. And I just loved it. Like that screaming, like 9,000 RPM engine, just how it drove. It drove so well. Uh, those seats, those red Recaros, um, fantastic gearbox, like it was just, it was just such a package. I only had it for about six weeks because I was getting offered good money for it, and away it went. And it's one of those things, isn't it? You just if if you had all the money in the world, you could keep these things, but never in that position. Yeah, well, they're they're fantastic cars. There's little Tasman said about the Integra Type R. You know, they're you look at any kind of list of top ten front wheel drive cars ever made, and they're usually near the top. Uh, what about yourself, Ross? Any do you wish you held on to? I'm probably different from you guys. You know, I, I listened to you talking about, you know, buying and swapping, and, or not swapping, buying and selling cars within very short time periods. Um, for about the last 
14, 15 years, I've been like leasing cars and that there. So any car I get, I've kind of had for two and a half, three, three and a half years at a time. Um, so everything I had in that kind of period, I don't mind. Um, when, the, when it came time for them to go, it was time for them to go. In the middle of this year, I've had a couple of different cars. And the one that I probably do miss, um, the only Japanese car I've ever had in my life was a uh, 1991 Toyota MR2. She was the T-bar. Uh, came in fresh from Japan and I got to work on it. It was one as well. Uh, looking back on RMS threads, uh, it was painted House of Color Candy Orange. It was lowered, uh, despoilered it. Um, had this so, Was that a two-liter one or a turbo? Or what was she it? was just a two-liter 16 yeah. valve. She was a non-turbo and uh, I'm actually kind of thankful that it wasn't a turbo because uh, I was I was doing enough damage in a non-turbo one. Uh, I was a, I had passenger runs in turbo ones, and I found them very very snappy, very hard to kind of. I, I got this MR2 thinking I'm going to be like a drift king in that there, and it was the hardest car to yeah. try and mid engine hardly. Yeah, it was a yeah. nightmare. Right. But I said it's the only one that I kind of miss out of any cars I've had uh, or any cars I've got rid of because you know it's my only Japanese car and it was different you know it was styled obviously very much back in the day it was the the Fast and the Furious time so I had it uh, House of Colour Candy Orange it had 18 inch chrome rims on it it all sounds horrendous underbody neons much like Andy driving around in his Corolla <laughs> and it sounds horrendous now but back in the day that thing was just something else and and, and I, I did love it it was a two-seater car it was just really actually nice to drive without pushing it too hard there's something yeah. about a t-bar isn't there getting the getting the roof off and uh get the get the wind in your hair get the wind in the hair i i love that about my uh lotus exige getting the getting the roof off except except one time just after i got it i took it to down royal cars and coffee and i remember chris burns i was chatting to there I just got the car and I didn't have the soft top for it. So I had, I had just left the hard top at home and it was a nice day when I went down and it started to piss. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by a prompt run home and I was soaked. Trying to outrun the rain. Trying to outrun the rain, I know. Okay. Uh, Father Stack asks, is it getting harder and harder to daily an older performance car? Uh, Mr. Stack is asking because his M3 has been off the road since Christmas, before Christmas week. I think he has, uh, it's not an F80, he has a, an E92 V8 one. He's been off the road before Christmas and essentially been without a car for a month now due to mechanics being outrageously busy, finding someone willing to work on it and long lead times on parts. Um, what do you reckon, Gary? I think it really depends how old you're talking. Uh, if it's an E92, obviously it's not the oldest out there. I, I don't actually know... What's up with this car? I haven't read the Fred, but I know they have the, the rod bearing issues that they suffer from. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I think any older cars will suffer over time from worn out suspensions, broken components, rust, all the kind of obvious stuff. Um, but I don't think, you know, since the 80s and 90s, certainly the engines have got a lot more reliable and a lot more marked on how hard you can run them once they got, you know, under the ECU age and fuel injection age. Um, the downside of them now, obviously, is that uh, an older performance car just really doesn't match up in performance to a modern diesel, even. You know, a, a, a 150 brake diesel nowadays will show many the road. But either way, with an older car, you just have to be mentally, financially prepared to pay more visits to the garage or else get your hands dirty more often. Yeah, I wonder, is it something like uh, running older car perf- 
performance car fatigue as in it's great at the start but then once you get sort of two or three years into it uh, then it just becomes maybe a wee bit monotonous because you will have sort of more bills than you would have your daily diesel or maybe would you with turbos and DPFs and all the rest but something like an M3 which is sort of the pinnacle of the do-it-all daily and performance car like it could cost twice the amount of an ordinary car like I ran an E46 M3 for three years well in fact my wife drove it mostly but I spent a lot on it to make sure it was always perfect and I probably went overboard you sort of overcompensate so you get proper tires and gets gets everything it needed just way over and above uh, the normal driving and I think that can just over time it just sort of takes it, out, takes it out of the out of the wallet you know um, yeah. the other the other thing is dailying something like an M3 it sort of spoils the specialness of a car is the only other thing I would say as well. So you, know, you don't get that jumping out of a 150 brake diesel daily in the 400 brake weekender going, oh my God, this is so quick. You know, you're like, so whereas you're just driving like that uh, every day or you're just driving it about like you would drive your slow diesel or Bluetooth van or whatever it is, you know. I think a lot depends on your temperament too. There's a lot of people enjoy the, the you know, fixing things at weekends and dealing with all them little things and making it part of the ownership experience. And then some of us just like a smooth life and an easy life and <laughs> don't want stuff to be broken all the time. Or or like circumstances change and something that you used to be happy yeah. working at, like like the circumstances I'm going to change for me and I, I need to re- reevaluate my priorities. And the last thing I will want to be doing for the first lot of months is lying underneath something trying to um, trying to fix it because I'm just not going to have the um, the time for it. What, what do you reckon, Ross? Yeah, do you know something? I'm in uh, full agreement with what both you chaps are saying. Um as some people may know, I've got an M3. If you didn't know about that, uh, do, do you remember that character was in Little Britain? It was um, Molly Sugden's bridesmaids. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm like. Every time an, an M3 is mentioned, I have to throw it in that I have an M3. But I, I do know exactly what you're saying. Like the upkeep is getting more and more. Um, look, as I said to people, the likes of an E46 M3, as a prime example, it's an old car by now, by today's standards. You know, the, the first generations of them are, you know, it's a pretty much a 20-year-old car now. And as I would say to people about mine, I wouldn't want to be dealing it because the steering's heavy on it. The clutch is heavy on it. Driving at low speeds around the town, there's not so much enjoyment in that there because it's older car. It's a bit clunkier, but that's not what they're made for. You know, dealing an older car like that there takes away, as you say, Andy, the the specialness of what it is because when that M3 gets out on the right road or the right time or Kirkston or whatever else it may be, when you can, you know, stretch the long legs of it, open it up, listen to that beautiful S54 engine, that's what they're about. So yeah. And, and, and again, to call a spade a spade, I'm not one of these really handy spanner hand people who can go, I can do all the basics I can do, you know, fuel filters oil filters whatever else it may be but when it comes to like working on a car i wouldn't be the kind of person who's able to uh be underneath it and i've, I've said this in the forum a few times i i'm in awe of people like pablo who can strip a car down in his driveway and rebuild a flipping vx220 to stupid standards um without a second thought um again guys like black in who can go in and do you know, full changes, change everything they need to do, pull out the suspension arms out there. I'm just not that, you know, mechanically minded. And I wish I would love to be able to. Um, 
but yeah, it, it, it's, it's trying to daily things that got there. I think it's definitely going to get harder and harder and it takes away from it. As a bit of a sidebar, I'll, I'll just uh, sing uh, Pablo's praises as well. I drove his VX220 when it was normally aspirated. And then I drove it after he had fitted a supercharger in his driveway, <laughs> mapped it himself, and did all the incineries and all the rest. And I have never been more in awe of because the car was so transformed. It was it was twice as fast, as twice as drivable, and he did it all himself. It was just uh, Andy painted it. Andy painted it head to toe. Yeah, yeah. So um, unreal. He said, he's the most talented, but the most tightest man around. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, he, he, Pablo, probably, I hope he doesn't just like he, we, he's in our WhatsApp group and we chat about stuff all the time. He's always tinkering. He's always doing something and uh, really respect the fact that he can just go out and put his, put his hands to it. And no matter what it is, he'll, he'll have, a, have a go. But at the same time, he's also someone who will never really hold on for, onto something for too long. No. A year, a year and a half. And then, and then he wants, and then he wants a change, you know. And I think sometimes you need that when you're, uh, if you're maybe working on something, and you just get to a point, maybe you're putting so much into it, it's like, do you know what? It's just time for mm-hmm. a change is as good as a rest, as they say, you know. So, uh, yeah. anyway, uh, moving on, Johnny Weir asks, uh, any car, any track in the world, what is it, and where, uh, Ross? So, an interesting one. Everybody talks about the ring. You know, Nürburgring is the be all and end all. And don't get me wrong, it's somewhere that I think I would love to go and just experience it. Uh, Although I've watched so many horror videos on YouTube that I'd be afraid to. But for me, um, I'd love to do something like Road America. Um, You know, it's one of those old classic tracks. I've driven it in Forza so many times. Uh, it's like it's one of those are old school tracks. It's it's got really long straights, high speeds, and um, different elevation changes, and it just looks epic. Um, yeah, so so one of the one of the, like the fours, especially Road America, Road Atlanta, definitely is the one for me. And then for choice of car, again, um, I don't think I'd be one of the supercar, hypercar kind of guys. Um, going back to what I play in my games all the time, the GT3 RS just seems to be one of like the most balanced cars and speaking to a couple of people who uh, who own them they they're in agreement with that there it's just one of the most perfectly set up balanced uh cars with the right amount of horsepower to get you well in triple figures but sticks like shit to a blanket yeah un- unbelievable like uh, my answer to this question was that um the actually the ring as well in a likes of a GT3 RS or GT4 RS. Now you can get one would be um, up there for me. Haven't I've been there several times, but not nowhere near some RMS members who seem to live out at the ring, which is, uh, which is fabulous, but it's just, it's an absolutely bonkers place. There's absolutely bonkers people that go to it and the cars there are first class, but a GT3 RS chief seems to have the ultimate chassis, engine uh driving characteristics and and reliability they, they can just they can just sit on a track all day they could do twenty thousand track miles a year and there's very little other car that will will do that without falling to pieces uh, what, what what do you uh, I'll, uh, i i know because f- from seeing your notes gary I really i really like your answer for this one yeah uh for me like the, the ring would definitely be number two on my list um 
like there's nothing we can say it hasn't been said about it it's an amazing place to go and drive but it's just so long that i don't think even if i drove it for years now it would ever get to know it as much as i want to know it you know they know the track intimately every single corner and dip and crest so for me it's uh, suzuka in japan and if you're going to go there then you can't have a porsche or ferrari or anything else it has to be uh, a skyline or 34 gtr just mm-hmm. chin to the balls now, now you're talking that is yeah. absolutely awesome and I would love to go. We've never been to Japan. And uh, just when we interviewed Chris Gray, and it's still just, oh, what what a place. Mm-hmm. And, and Suzuka as well. Suzuka was is the circuit from those best motoring vids from like the mm-hmm. early 2000s. It was for like, it's like yeah. Civic Type R versus uh, Nissan Pulsar VZR1. Always lots of white cars lined up yeah, beside yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> type yeah, R yeah. badges. Yep. <laughs> and, and you always had the wee camera over their feet to see the Kyoto. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. They, they were some of the most like again you, you still see those videos popping up and, and as you said there was like you know all these championship white cars racing and these guys just going balls out heel and toe and everywhere it, it was yeah it's just amazing to see some of those things and it's not really a, a, a circuit per se but i do wonder what the group b rallying era was like as well in like a s1 quadro or a flipping uh lancia or a t16 Two, five, or six or four metro, or you know, all those yeah. sorts of things doing all those absolutely crazy courses would have been uh, some crack as well. So, uh, I think we, hot, sweaty, and intense is how it would have been in those cars. <laughs> absolutely un- unbelievable. Uh, great question. Love that one. Uh, 407, and he's got an underscore in there. HDI asks good routes and things to do on a road trip. Uh, we only has just completed a 400 mile trip on Sunday just for the funny just for the funny went from Enniskill and the whole way across the east coast over Strangford up to Coleraine uh, Stroke City etc avoiding Lauren apparently <laughs> uh, and, and back to Enniskill uh, via the Maiden City just for the fun of it so uh, Gary what do you reckon? Uh, for me, it's probably the west of Ireland. I've been down there the last couple of years to a few different places and some of the best scenery I've seen in a long time. The, the roads are brilliant too. So Ring of Kerry is an absolutely fantastic drive. So as well, Atlantic Way. And the, the great thing about Ireland, as we all know, you can be down there and back in the day if you if you desired or go down and stay for a few days and have a, have a holiday. Uh, also keep thinking someday I'll just jump on the ferry first thing, head over to Scotland. We'll be there in a couple of hours, drive up around the Highlands, Book in the hotel for 50 quid a night and do it again the next day and head home. Um, been thinking about doing that for years and like everyone else has just never done it, but it's on the list. I would highly recommend it. I, I've written about uh, a few trips and one I did very recently was last summer in the wee Yaris. I did a thousand miles around uh, West Cork. I'll stick that link in the yeah. in the show notes, but that was just absolutely epic when you get the far side of Cork. And way down past uh, Bantry, and that part of the world is just absolutely stunning. And then about four years ago, uh, wife and I took my Lotus Evora, and we did the sort of parts of the North Coast 500 in Scotland. It was sort of like Skyfall, Aviemore, up around Fort William, and all that sort of carry on. Mm-hmm. Also, absolutely amazing. And I was just, uh, and there's a few other guys in RMS have done that trip. I'm thinking of yeah, Spain or a few other ones. Woodcutter's done it and what? There's no, I don't think there's a single person has done the Skyfall drive without stopping and taking the photo. Yeah, yeah <laughs> has to, <laughs> be, done. to be done. Uh, what, what about yourself, Ross? Uh, are you a road tripper? 
Um, do you know something? I haven't been um, as much as it pains me to say and admit it. You know, I've done the I've done the Wild Atlantic Way because you know I scuba dive, so I do. So uh, a couple of times a year, we would uh, me and some of the boys we would head up around uh, Malin Head and out there. And normally we try and take in a drive and catch some of the scenes, uh, and, and it's beautiful. Um, I can remember as a child being down the west coast of Ireland and doing like the cliffs of Moher and stuff like that there, um, and even down around Cork. But I've never actually taking the time to jump in the car and go and do it and enjoy it but as my kids are getting a wee bit older you know I keep thinking about doing like long weekends and going doing trips and, and stuff to kind of you know give them memories as well because you know we've all probably grown up doing things like this here you know before you go on big holidays and stuff and yeah it's lovely to go and do it and and you know something nice something sporty you know you Andy going to to do those Scotland trips in the Lotus must have just been amazing but uh yeah I'm thinking about doing it in a seven-seater x5 um but yeah I've never done them but but really envious and I said you know we said there about we Loney like he just decided one day he was bored at home doing nothing else in 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 the wilds of Fermanagh or Enniskillen and he just took himself on on, on a 400 mile road trip uh drove down to Rathfrayland to fill up with 99 Ron to see did it make any difference <laughs> And you know something, like you just have to applaud the fact that he was just going, well, do you know something? I'll kill a day here. He went and got his ice cream in Newcastle. You know, he he went and done just cool stuff that that's that uh yeah Andy you should probably do it now before uh before Bambino comes along because it'll be very, very different when that happens. The the thing is it's on our doorstep, you know, you can travel the length of the whole country, top to bottom in a day if you wanted. Um just a bit of a segue there, but uh, um outside of Ireland, the best one of the best drives I've ever done was the Pacific Coast. And Andy, you've probably done this too in America, going down from Monterey down to LA. And that was just the scenery was incredible. The roads was incredible. Everything was great. So I'd like to go back and do that. That's in the bucket list. And I'd also love to do Route 66 and something American, probably a Mustang, even though it's cheesy, but just to drive across America. I think it would be amazing. I remember being on uh, PCH, so Highway 1. Uh, and I've done it loads of times. That's my. One yeah. of my favourite places on the uh, on the planet, and in fact, Venom and RMS, he lived in LA, so it was a good excuse to go fly over and, and stay at his place, and uh, go and hire a car. And I remember hiring a it was a V6 Mustang. It was the previous shape to the current one that we can get in right hand drive, mm-hmm. and uh, thinking that I was the man. And there's just like courses over there, convertible thing. It was just like the most. It was just the most common, typical spot the tourist, you know. I'd love to go over and do it when the uh, what they call the show that's on in Monterey. There's a car show that's always held there. Oh, the uh, there is Monterey Classics is it? No, the Classics at Pebble Beach or something like that. There, Pebble, yeah, there, there's yeah. there's some really really good car show and all the magazines flying from over the world to cover it. But uh, there's always really really nice stuff with that. Yeah, no, that's uh, just that just <clears> part of the world. The American, but that that for me as well. That the American trip road tripping across I, I would love to get like one of the big you know the big rvs or something and just take <laughs> six or seven weeks retire you know when i win the lottery and whatever else but just to travel from one from east coast to west coast and and be in no rush to do it yellow yeah. and free in a tow bar behind <laughs> <laughs> be a smart car or something tucked inside it absolutely uh first class uh rocco asks any updates on an rms cars and coffee and the who's, uh, is, who, who's Rocco? Uh, I don't know. Never heard of him. No. Judas. Ne- never heard of her. <laughs> uh, no, Rocco, but thanks for reminding me. 
So, Do you know something you could maybe tie that? I've, I've always thought since I opened up my premises down here, I'd been talking for a long time about, you know, trying to do like a barbecue or something like that there just for RMS members out there. So maybe that's something we can maybe try and tie a cars and coffee and uh, with a barbecue at the Anakin Automotive HQ. That sounds absolutely fantastic, Ross. And we'll be taking up on that offer because we have it on tape. <laughs> Next question is from Das Outer Ring which is just a fantastic name. Uh, what was your first track or race experience like and uh, what was it in and how did it end? Uh, Gary, you're bound to have a good one there. Yeah, uh, my first track experience was Kirkstown. I think it was about 21 and I'd booked it for the Sunday and paid the deposit or whatever it was and I had a 205 GTA lined up to buy on the Friday and it was 99% done the deal and then fell through. And I was really, really excited about going to the track day and didn't want to cancel it. So started walking past my old man and just said, oh, you know, can't, can't get a car for this track day. And he had a load of stuff sitting in stock in the garage. And he said to me, look, take that Cavalier with you. So Cavalier is not an obvious contender for a track day, but it did have the two-liter red top. It wasn't an SRI or anything. It was just a CDX, but it, it had the red top, which was the, the good bit. So took it up and I think we did four or five laps with my brother and then exhaust blew on it. And it was just so loud. It sounded like a tractor going down the track. Now, this is back. Probably they weren't as strict back then about the noise and everything. So I didn't get put off the track. But I had to drive it the whole way back from Kirkstown to Derry with the exhaust blown. So it made some <laughs> racket going up over Glen Sheen. Uh, on that same day, actually, my work colleague was there. And his, uh, his brand new Tommy Magnan Evo. I think it was only maybe 400 miles in the clock. He'd only got it a few days before. And I talked to him and they go on the track day. He kept saying... I don't want to do it, it's too new, the car. And I kept saying, look, just, you'll love it, you'll come with a bit of crack, this car's made for going on a track day. And I think on his first lap round, he spun off a debtors and tore the bumper off. So oh. I just felt so guilty. He didn't blame me, like he was driving, but, you know, I just felt accepted because I talked him on it. But Look, it's, it's always one of those things, the first time you take your own car out on track, it's like, uh, no matter how many times you're told, don't be a hero, don't be a hero, Nearly every time it happens. So there's, there's those guys are new, and you're like, right, hope, hope they uh, take it handy because this place, this tracks take generally take no prisoners, you know. And then next you think, oh yeah, he's he's launched it over the barrier. It's in the air. It's it's landing on its nose. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I went down to Kirkuson. Um, not sure if I mentioned this when Donald was on the show, but I don't know. I was like six, sixteen, or seventeen. I was waiting to get across the track at the barrier and uh, a car smacked the armco right beside me but there was a barrel on the other side of the armco and the armco smashed into the barrel and sent it flying right across the front, front of my feet it nearly took me out and I was like alright this place is is for real that happened to me about four years ago there actually on the, it was very similar the, 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 it was like an oil drum and it just went flying I think it was past me and another guy just missed our head by a few inches but I, I, I think the Thankfully, uh, I don't think that's the case down at uh, Kirkson now. But it's it's just uh, it's just take no uh, no prisoners. I remember one of the other times I bought a uh, you were saying about Ross about buying a car between between friends and Robert and myself. Mate Robert had bought a GSI Carton. Mm-hmm. It was four hundred and fifty quid. So it was two hundred and twenty five quid each. So that was the sort of numbers you were talking about back then, like the early two thousands. And first track day, I took it to, did the head gasket. Oh. <laughs> uh, but sold it to someone in RMS, got our money back, and went, went and bought another one. 
Did you tell him about the head gasket? I, oh, well, it was it was something like chuck, 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 chuck. <laughs> she couldn't hide it. <laughs> Lots of mail under the cap. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, keep uh, keep feeding it plenty of uh, water there. Yeah, it's, it's, the it's, it's a box range and just ignored. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll not do it today, but I must tell you about the time that I went to do the, uh, it wasn't the auto car sideways challenge, but it was something like that uh, over in England. And the car I went, the car I went to buy to use it, I had blown up my skyline. I went to buy a 200SX and the 200SX was broken. So, but that's for another another show. And it was a whole, and I was stuck in England with it. And I was oh. going to, I think that was a whole hoo-ha. So, but we'll save that for uh, another day. Uh, and Ross, you, your first track day experience, I was there for it. Yeah, you were there for it. Uh, I spoke about it on episode 10. Um, do you know something? It was just one of those like amazing experiences that I do think anybody who is a petrol head, anybody who loves a wee bit of speed, a wee bit of sound, just that feeling track days are something special. And apart from going a wee bit sideways uh, at the very end when I got caught out, apart from that there, I, I survived completely unscathed, but I didn't really, because it gives you this buzz that you just want to do it again. I've been after the the episode with Donald, you know, I was looking up all the, the track skills days and that there, because I, I really am keen to go out and, and, have another couple of goes with the M3 just to give it a push around it because, <clears throat> excuse me, it it just, just it puts a lights a fire under you. There's just something about doing a track day where you can carry that bit more speed legally without doing something silly in the roads and getting yourself in, in, in a rake of bother. Uh, as Donald said, there's a couple of decent runoffs in Kirkuson, but um, yeah, that was my first track day, but it definitely won't be my last. Yeah, it's. Uh... It just is the place to explore your car safely, but you can uh, really see what, what it can do. So the next question is uh, also from Das Outer Ring. You can only choose one, your dream car for a year, and no cars after it, or a poverty spec fate multiple for your remaining years and nothing else. Your dream car for a year, and no cars after it, or a, or a fate multiple for life. Uh, no, that's a that's a terrible question. I'm not even going to. Do you have any thoughts on this? I think it's that's just shit. Next question. Uh, Quattro Rick in his uh, <laughs> Fiat Multiple, terrible thousand horse <laughs> V10 yeah. RS6 wants to know all of our Vmax uh, Ross Vmax. Yeah, I think around one sixty five, one seventy on private roads, obviously. Uh, Gary. Uh, 155 and then M3 bouncing off the, the limiter which wasn't removed unfortunately um, I don't know exactly what speed it is but in my de-restricted re- remap 335D I was in the diesel gauge which is plast 170 I think <laughs> on the that, autobahn <clears throat> that was a very sharp car wasn't it <laughs> it was hilarious it was hilarious it was great an auto-tune map just absolutely uh, transformed it. Uh, I'm trying to think if I've been... I, it's it's one of those things, I think I probably have been a bit quicker, but shouldn't really say, you know? One of those ones you're afraid to look at the gauge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was in something I was talking about in this podcast that maybe um, I was quicker in. <laughs> um, anyway... Uh, Enda asks, based on my recent Australian hard car experience, that's his hard car experience, what new regulation would 
kill driving for you. I found a constant beep when going over 114 kph soul destroying. Oh my goodness. So in Australia, they have a, a speed beep at 114 kilometers an hour. What's that? About 70 miles? 70. Hour? Yeah, about 70 miles an hour. Yeah. Soul destroying to the point where if I lived here permanently, I don't think having a half decent car would be a feature. Uh, Earplugs. That's the only answer. Um, do you know what? The only thing uh, I say is, do you know what? It might save the license. The amount of uh, road safety partnership on the road, mm. it is frightening. It is frightening. And do you know what? Uh, it's probably in places where people shouldn't be speeding to. It's, yeah. it's probably right, and maybe a speed limiter would help. But there will be times when just want to put the big boy pants on, go and enjoy yourself away from away from people on the Sunday morning drive, and you don't really want the nanny state interfering. Remember, they don't want to catch you speeding; they want to educate us against speeding. Yes. Isn't that what it was? Yes. I don't mind beeps and noises and things warning you, and you know that's what those warning systems are designed for. But I think anything that anything that starts limiting your speed, like speed limiters, GPS speed limiters, stuff like that there, retarding the engine, anything like that's too intrusive. You know, it's taking away control of the vehicle, and that's just a step too far in the wrong direction. Uh, because the vast majority of people, I imagine, do drive fairly responsibly in the roads, so you're taking away the vehicle control based on a minority and how they behave. And again, as you say, Andy, it's a, it's a nanny state trying to take over. Yeah. Yeah, there was one I had read about, um, I know it was there was like one of the, you know, petitions out there in the South. And I, I also remember something happening over in America about it, where they're basically some bullshit one where they're trying to stop uh, modified ECUs. And so can you just remember reading that or did you mm, ever see it? I remember that, yeah, yeah. So it was about basically if your car has been modified from stock and and these testers, which uh, especially in America were basically like the the, DVNI or the VOSA testers, they could if they could detect that your car had been modified from from factory in any way, shape, or form, uh, and they'd done it by plugging in a code reader into your ECU. And this was coming up in the south as well that your car could be impounded there and then mm-hmm. um, for for basically modifying it in a way that they weren't happy with. Um, like again, that that's that's you can kind of maybe understand thoughts and reasons behind it, but for me, it's just. It's, it's a load of crap. It's interesting that one, Ross, that actually is the law, I think, in France, or has been for a long time. They can't do engine tuning or modifications. They can do whatever they want to the bodywork and the wheels. Because I remember even as far back as Max Power Days, they featured a couple of cars from Paris. That's right, And actually, I remember yeah. it being mentioned that, you know, the French modification scene was all about bodywork, and they were just crazy about stuff like that, but you would never see a car with a tune engine. Do you know what? It's, we're actually very fortunate. Mm-hmm. That you know you can tune something and it can be kept legal and insured and stuff like that. But uh, which, which I suppose is a nice thing to look at because the, the speed limiters thing is a bit buzz Killington, isn't it? Hundred um, percent. Yeah. So flip right. Uh, oh, it doesn't. It doesn't get much better. Boydie's asking then the next question: the death of drag racing at at uh, uh, Bishop's Court. Come on, people need some more positive questions. But uh, drag racing was great fun back in the days. I remember going to several events. Uh, there was a huge scene. I remember Wayne Owens was the man behind in the back in the day. He ran those SWRC days down at Bishop's Court. There was also there was straight liners at St Angelo. They were all great, great crack. But it's not a scene that I followed that closely since. 
now I've watched some of Boyd's videos. That is a very quick S3. I think he's doing like, was it 11.7.170? He's doing a quarter mile in. That's very low 11s, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. For, a, for a wee, uh, for a wee Audi. Um, Gary, did you do much drag racing? Uh, I did bits and pieces in different vehicles. I can't even remember everything I was out on. I think I had few type R Tigo runs and the thirty six M for you, but like I was never doing it competitively, never did anything that fast. It was yep. just for fun. But drag racing obviously has been around for a very long time. They were doing it in the USA in the fifties and sixties. It's kind of where it became popularized. But I think in the last twenty years over here it was really since Fast and the Furious came out that kinda just grabbed the imagination of the cruising scene and the boy racers and that's when the events here began to take off. You know, they obviously that film had a lot of drag racing scenes in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it's now moved away from that to international espionage and space travel. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, it's 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 sad to see any event die down, but I think it's just the same of the times, you know, the the scene moves on and something new will take over. It does move on, but again, my YouTube feed is 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 full of different things. And the big thing that seems to be happening in America at the minute is these Teslas rolling up and destroying everything all around yeah. that that that's one part of it that look it's, it's definitely really appealing I, I was never into drag racing that there had a few you know traffic light drag races and stuff like that there as, as we all did back in the day um had a couple of races out at bishop's court and that there and and there's something actually really fun about you know being in a very similarly powered car to whoever your mates are um i can remember having a mark four golf uh, it was the gttdi it was remapped to again obd autotune remapped on 7180 horsepower and I was racing a friend who had a slick of VVTI at the time and it was really interesting to see because we were horsepower were probably both very similar but that golf was very quick uh, and again I beat him in three or four races and and again I suppose it's a wee bit like the the track days now that there was a real buzz to it um but the, the scene kind of did die over here um but I would I would love to see the likes of of a few good races and Tesla's just turning up and annihilating all around them I found the thing with drag strips was that it's it's like track days. It seizes you really, really quickly, even within the space of a few hours. The very first time I went out, the, the first run was just pure crack. I was sitting there, I'd never done it before. But second, third run, you're sitting in the lane and you're you're kind of thinking, well, I need to improve my response time here and I need to get better traction off the lane. And you're starting to think about it more seriously, even by that stage. Yeah, the uh, test, was, was it was it Gary yourself who sent us a video which was a Bugatti Chiron versus a, a Model S Plaid? Yeah, and there, there's various other things in the video. There's a GT3 RS, I think, and a, a P1 McLaren of some kind too. But yeah, that the Tesla is just, you just giggle at it. You know, it's just this family saloon looking car and destroying everything. Yeah, my, my, my phone things all the time with Carwow. I follow them on YouTube as well. Yeah. And they seem to like really specialize in drag racing, everything yeah. that they possibly can. I watch a lot of their drag videos. They're, they're really good. I think we should, I, I will reach out to Matt Watson and, and he can uh, decline our invitation or, or, or maybe he'll come on. But, uh, he likes to talk for sure. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Uh, next question. Big Raddy. Having sort of half reached the point of becoming a bit disenfranchised with cars and motoring stuff, what solutions uh, to the issue did you find that rekindled a fresh outlook on owning a car and modding? Uh, Gary, what do you reckon? Uh, I don't know. I think like everything in life, you just have to switch it up, take a break from it, come back to it, try something new, try changing things around. Um I'm finding currently that having an eight-year-old who's just suddenly developed an interest in uh 
Teslas and Lamborghinis and things I got there has kind of sparked my own interest again, although it's a very expensive way of getting back into carrying ownership. Well, but Annie, Annie, you've taken this route now. You're having a child just to try and renew your interest in cars. Citroen so. <laughs> <laughs> Zara Picassos. <laughs> oh, yes, the Uncle Bryn special. Like, I, yeah. I've, I've been through uh, all of this. Like, I was doing, when I was back at Queen's, I was doing nav rallies. And then I was, I was in the forums and then cruises and then diffing and then going to the rallying and then drifting and then track days and then the Nürburgring and then blogging and podcasting and car reviews and flipping just never stops. Like, mm-hmm. But uh, but at the, doing all those different things at different times has kept me um, kept me interested. I, I love, I, I never would have thought that I would have said I love doing the podcast, but it's great fun. It's a great chance to talk to you guys and talk to, talk to some people that I never would have sat down and, and had a chance to really learn things about it's just it's just unbelievable and and then and again getting getting the cars for like i actually still find the thought of myself on video just i just squirm at the thought of it yet i think i've now knocked out six review videos which is just uh mental i think the the videos may have to stop after i have the kid for a while because it takes a lot of time but it's it's actually immense it's immense fun and and i get to like take you guys out in a in a Model Three performance for for a bit of squeeze. You, you didn't get that, Ross. Last last no. podcast, I, I missed that last I, one. I got two runs actually, Ross. I took yours as well. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I can claim though I've been in Big Pete's Model Three performance. Oh, it's the same thing. Yeah, they're same a thing. frighteningly quick car. Um, myself, I I am. Um, maybe I'm different. I I've never became disenfranchised with the cars and the motor and stuff. Uh, the the motoring end of it. Um, I think maybe I don't think I'm just forever young and out there, but I love this here. I always have loved it. Um, flip of start of my business based on on my love of cars, motoring, and again cutting out some of the bullshit around about the things on. So, so I've really got very heavily involved in this uh, in the whole in all sides of this here. Um, yeah. So if if big rally's disenfranchised or half disenfranchised. Go for a track day, or else go on one of the four hundred mile runs in his big Lexus V eight, um, and have a bit of fun making noise and having seeing the sights and and just enjoying it again because you know life can get caught up with us all in loads of different ways. Um, but see when we're fit and able to do something, I think just go and do it. I find sometimes taking a break from uh, even your your normal commute just go a different road is all text because. You get in this habitual way of taking the same route every day and driving just becomes a chore. It's a commute to get to work and back. And, um, you know, as you get older and you have kids and you're busier and all there, you're maybe less inclined just to go out for a drive for pleasure. But just make yourself get up on a Sunday morning, a nice day, find a nice road, go and have a bit of fun on it and just go on your own, radio up or whatever. That's all Yeah, and and even, you know, whilst the car scene, sorry, the car shows not there haven't been as prevalent over the last couple of years, obviously because of uh, COVID and that there, the the whole cars and coffee thing has popped up again. And and I think, you know, even going for a half an hour, driving down, meeting like-minded people, grabbing a cup of coffee, you're not wasting the whole day, but things like that there, definitely. And I, I do know that he's gone to a few things like that there, but I do think that, where you're in places with like-minded people because that's originally like how we all we all got into cars as soon as we had them we went out to cruises and stuff like that there and if you kind of remember who took you to the dance you'll not forget why you're there um Mm -hmm. so so for me yeah don't forget what got you into this whole thing at the very start that's one of the things we miss about the old shows from like uh probably 
15 years ago was the big convoys because it was always big shows and yeah. lots of people going so you'd have convoy cars down on a Sunday morning it was always great crack it was a huge a huge social thing that was just sort of nicely yeah. leading us on to the the next question about and Colin the uh, rover repair MacGyver uh, who I used to work with uh, back in the day Tesco uh, was it? back in back wow. when I worked did a yep I was on the beers wines and spirits uh Discussion on the subject of what killed the extreme car scene locally. Was it car insurance or was it the easy purchase of, of uh, higher purchase of diesel cars for anyone who could drive their mum's Audi A4 that was over 18? Well, I don't know if it was that, but uh, certainly I would say that uh, my thoughts on that, like the crew scene, if that's what you're talking about, Colin, like the people that were part of the crew scene sort of continues on, but it, it's split into various different things like diffing and the oval days sitting off the corner. But on the other side of it, there's the cars and coffee and the static stuff. But the crew scene, anyway, I think it was never sustainable because ultimately some of it was a bit dangerous and a lot of it was antisocial and it was of its time. You know, it got a lot of negative press. And uh, even though I thought it, like, it was at the time for... Uh, young man or a teenager or whatever it seemed like a lot of fun like it, it just was of its time and and there was a there was a stage where it just became too hot to handle because uh, like some of the car scene and the shows were absolutely mad like you wouldn't go to a car show now and there's a lot of uh diffing and donuts and stuff like that but although it's separate now you maybe have a bit of autocross or a bit of uh, uh drifting at it or something like that so there is a bit of that but t- times change you know what do you reckon, Gary? Yeah, I, I don't think it was any one factor. It was just like a, a perfect storm of different things. It was uh, car insurance was going up. Uh, the cruising was down the way, especially in the wider UK with the advent of the ASBO, the Antisocial Behavioural Order, which so people were getting penalised for doing boy race stuff in cars. Uh, previously, they weren't really. Extreme mods were going out of fashion. Uh, you had manufacturers releasing cars which were quite modified from the factory so there's less DIY needed stuff like the the Saxo VTS and all mm-hmm. if you call them coming out they had body kits and things which were kind of unheard of at the time um, I would like to point out because someone did uh, co- uh, comment on it in the forum the 106 GTI is much better looking than the VTS Saxo yeah, whoever, yeah. whoever it was disagreed <laughs> with me it, don't it, say that Gav has just bought Gav uh, 55 comments on loads of our post he's just picked up BMP's silver VTS which is super clean Although I do agree that the 106 GTI was definitely meaner looking. <laughs> they just had something, didn't they? But then you had manufacturers also bringing out uh, cars have bigger wheels, they had infotainment systems, body kits. Um, so the manufacturers really were trying to capitalize on what the modifiers, modifiers were doing. But then because of that, the modifying scene was down away to a certain degree. Uh, you had more leasing rather than purchasing, so you couldn't really do much to the cars. And then I think the final thing was that the internet was taken off. And people yeah. were getting their fixes and their discussions online rather than in person. Train, train, what's yeah, very, but on the flip side of that there, I don't know if you guys um, follow them on Instagram out there, but there's uh, some of the old Max Power staffers in that there, uh, Dan and uh, Millsy in that there. there there's, there seems to be a real revival starting to take place of probably 40-year-old something men like ourselves or some of us um, where the old cars are starting to pop up again um, and doing something there's something for me is really exciting about it because those cars are still there you know in various forms and various shapes but a lot of these here have been tucked away I'm 
like I'm stupidly excited and giggly about the thought about some of these fiberglass wonders coming back out again because <laughs> it, it, it's cars that people, you know, I, I genuinely I do say it. I think when we were growing up, we were really in the heyday of of the max power generation of of the cars, of the body kits, of the wheels, of the sound systems, of the cruises, of the diffin, of all those combinations of things together, and and there does seem to be a wee bit of it starting to come back in, and and I just I love seeing it, and it has made me really excited to follow these guys on Instagram and see what's still out and about there. It's a real uh, nostalgia trip, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I like the next question though uh, on uh, <laughs> wanky window stickers um, uh, unquote and uh, some of the port's finest I uh, did see a cracker uh, on a back of an A5 on the on the thread in RMS part time farmer full time charmer um, <laughs> if you are the owner of that A5 we want to hear from you get in touch at pod at rmsmotoring.com or at rmsmotoring on, on the socials because we want to hear some of that charm uh, anyone else any classics uh, I hated seeing babe on board whenever someone drove fast and you look and that's a complete munter in the front seat <laughs> there's always a few around uh, I remember seeing one and I, I, I laughed my head off it was this old man uh, probably in his late 80s, he's, he's crawling along 20 mile an hour as they do, and now uh, someone's scrawled in the dirt in his driver's door. If you think this car is dirty, wait, wait till you see the driver in action. <laughs> <laughs> there's there are some good ones, but uh, you know, there's all the the reprobates like they're powered by Buckfast, the no smoke, no poke. Um, I saw one property of the credit union, you know, that that really is <laughs> Mid Ulster's finest. Um, and then, of course, the cringy one, like my, my other ride is your ma. You know, it, it's just all the stuff. But some of them are are, are desperate. Uh, I, I did go on a wee bit of a hunt to try and find different ones and and looking up Pinterest and that there. And and frighteningly, uh, felt spec was one of the things that was popping up on Pinterest. It was mad. Um, and I hope it stays there. So felt spec used to be a derogatory term. So now it's it's been formalised. Yeah. Do, do you know what? Uh, at the same time, I bet you those guys who flip and cut the springs and do all the things they probably shouldn't be doing, all the rigging and all the rest, they probably still get the same satisfaction that I got when I fitted neons back to my Corolla back in the day, or you put your your dials into your... Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. And, and, and look, this is this is what things are nowadays, and, and most of it is a bit of bantering out there. Um, yeah, it's just it's just the different times. Oh, just, oh, sorry, just before I forget on the subject of wanky window stickers, I remember someone years ago handed me a couple of RMS ones to put on side windows of my car. <laughs> <laughs> was that, I, I think I got ones, but even back in the day when vinyl was cheap, 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 they were still like nine or ten pound per sticker. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well priced. I, I, I sold three. <laughs> <laughs> to me. <laughs> to you. Uh, very good well like i think that's a fairly comprehensive roundup of uh the random the many random questions of our uh, beloved members of the rms forum um and i think we will pull this podcast in and check if it needs a bit of servicing anyway thanks for listening uh, remember to like subscribe do the things we're supposed to tell you to do hopefully you'll give us lots of stars and itunes and all the rest we're everywhere at RMS Motoring on the socials and on rmsmotoring.com and you can email us at pod at rmsmotoring.com as well or on the RMS Forum podcast section. Uh, thanks for joining us and remember there's no warranty. This was sold to sing. <laughs> <laughs>